The church is not a building. The church is not 50C3. The church is not, um, you know, constitution. The church is not bylaws. The church is people, and they're God's people. So if I can understand that as a pastor and a leader, then when the people come, my job is to help them discover what God has placed on them and then to, to equip them so that at the appointed time we can release them into what God's called them to do. And so it starts off with me walking in humility, and, and that's not easy for any of us because, sadly, it's easy for our identity to get wrapped up in what we do instead of the one who did for us. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rooted in Christ podcast. My name is Eric Stevens. I'm the founder of Redwood Christian Ministries. Hope everyone out there is doing well today. I am blessed to be on location with my friend, Pastor Gilbert Silva. Sir, how are you doing today? I am absolutely blessed, brother. Doing very well. Great to be with you. Thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate absolutely. it. I really appreciate it. And thank you for letting me uh, rearrange your office space in here <laughs> to make this happen. Oh, that's perfectly fine. As long as you put it back I'll put together, it back. we're good. I we're promise good. I'll put it back. I promise I'll put it back. <laughs> um, again, thank you so much for even doing this today. I have been um, blessed to just hear you preach teach. You have always shared wisdom with me whenever we have, have spoken, and I just wanted you to share some of our audience today. So, no, Absolutely. I'll, I'll share what, hopefully it's not a very short podcast if you need all the wisdom I have. So, so I mean, we got about 16 hours. I think, I, think this, I think this is a record for 16 hours, so that's about how much time we have. All right. Not going to take up too much of your night tonight, though, but um, let's just dive right into it. So give us a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up and where are you from? Well, I'm actually uh, born and raised right here in the city of Lorraine. Been here my my entire life. Um, my parents originally are from Puerto Rico. Uh, they moved back uh, to they moved to the United States back in the '60s. Uh, in, in my dad was looking for employment, and so he came here. And of course, he had his family here. And so um, this is all I've ever known. I, I'm, I was raised in this town. I'm pastoring in this town, and I'm living in this town. I graduate from the schools of this town, and so uh, I am definitely a native of Lorraine. Although I am from Puerto Rican nationality, okay. uh, I am a Lorrainite. There we go. There we go. Let's talk a little bit about like your like growing up. Were you so? Were you always a Christian? Always around faith? Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, if you if you ask anyone that's a Catholic, are they a Christian? Chances are they would say that they're a Christian, right? right? Because of course they would identify themselves as a Catholic. Uh, so if you would have asked me growing up, are you a Christian? I would have said I'm a Catholic because I would have seen that as synonymous with Christian. Uh, but it wasn't until I was uh, about 14 years old that I had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ in what was referred to back then during the height of the charismatic renewal in the Catholic Church in the 70s. And uh, that's actually the, the time that I first heard and understood the gospel and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And believe it or not, the Catholic Church where we were at, where the charismatic renewal actually arrived. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty powerful. My, my, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, of course, this was way before I was 14 years old, um, they were actually the very first converts to the charismatic renewal in Lorraine and brought the movement to Lorraine um, not that they strategically brought it, but it was a real sovereign move of God. And so they, they had an experience with the Lord in Lakewood, of all places. Uh, a friend of theirs handed them a book entitled Pentecostal Catholics. Uh, my mother-in-law thought it was a very unusual title. What could this possibly mean? And uh, so she read the book, 
And uh, not long after that, a cousin of her husband came to the house and said, hey, listen, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And he started describing some things she read in the book. And then he says, uh, she says, does it have anything to do with this book? And he goes, uh, yes, absolutely. It's the prayer meetings. It was a language that she read from the book, but she never heard of such a thing. And so he invited her to a school. I think it was St. Edward's School in Lakewood. Okay. And they were having a small prayer meeting there, a small group that was getting together in the Catholic Church. So she and her husband went. Now, they were Spanish-speaking predominantly, although she understood English. And uh, they sat in this small prayer group, and there they presented the gospel. She raised her hand, received Christ as Lord. Her husband raised his hand, received Christ as Lord. And they were so in love with Jesus, so radically changed. Um, that they started inviting family members and friends to come with them to Lakewood to this prayer meeting. And soon they were bringing more people to the prayer meeting than were actually in the prayer meeting from Lakewood. (laughs) And so the leader of the group told them, listen, um, you've got a lot of people coming. Maybe you could talk to your Catholic priest and see if he'll let you do prayer meetings there at the church. And they did. They started in a basement uh, here at one of the Catholic churches in Lorraine and outgrew there. God started moving. People started getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And... um, not long after that, a few years later, they, they they just couldn't embrace a lot of the dogmas of Catholicism and the group that had been developed and formed um, began to read the scriptures and say, listen, there are some things that we can't agree with with the Catholic Church. Not that we were against the Catholic right. Church, but there were some dogmas that we couldn't embrace that we couldn't find in scripture. And so a group of people left at that time and uh, thus... House of Praise, where I pastor today, was birthed. Wow. And uh, it was during that time before they had left the church that I came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Wow. And so I've been walking with the Lord for quite some time now. I did not know any of that. As long as I've known, I did not know that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And it's rather interesting because the church that you now attend uh, uh, in Lakewood, New Life Church, is a church plant out of our church. And uh, when Pastor Bob told me that he felt the Lord had called him to plant a church, I said, where? He said, Lakewood. And lo and behold, that's where we started. And so it was almost like a most certainly sovereign move of God. And now the church in Lakewood, New Life Church, is doing amazing. Uh, but, but that's where we started. And God has an amazing sense of humor and also reminds us that he's the sovereign, right? He's in control. One of the funniest things about my walk has been, and one of the most painful, is when God has to remind me that he's God. Because yeah. <laughs> sometimes I seem to forget, like I have a better idea, yes. and I never have a better idea at all. So you talked about how House of Praise and you, how that church now had a church plant, which mm-hmm. is Lakewood New Life, which is where I attend. Right. So when did you first realize that there was a call of God on your life to be a pastor and plant churches and that kind of thing? To whatever degree you want to explain that. Well, I... I you know, I wrestled with that because a lot of people, um, many times I'll ask that question, well, when did you, when did you receive the call? And, and it wasn't as if though I was somewhere and I heard the audible voice of God that said, I have called you to be a pastor. Um, and so one day I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, when did I, when did I first get this impression that this right. is what I was supposed to do or that I was, because I, I, I always had a desire. It's, it's a really funny story. Um, as a Catholic boy growing up, I was I really loved the liturgical aspect of the Christianity or Catholicism. I, you know, I know that that it may not be what I embrace today, but there was something about the Mass, something about this experience that that really just just really touched me, even though I didn't fully understand it all. And I remember um, 
right here, very near to this particular building where we're at today in what we call in the rain, the Campitos. <laughs> um, my siblings were younger than me, at least the, the younger ones. I have two older siblings. And uh, I remember one time as a kid, I was probably in third or fourth grade, and I took bread and I smashed it and made what was like a host you yeah. know, when they give communion. And I sat some of my siblings down and I did a little mass, even in the fourth grade uh, with oh, them. Oh, wow. And... Uh, but it was something about it that intrigued me. It wasn't like, okay, God's calling me to do this right now. But as I got a little bit older before I came to Christ, I did sense that maybe that was something I should be doing. But then I got born again, and uh, God radically changed me. But I, I started having this sensing that pastoring people was what I was supposed to do. I just didn't know how to go about doing it. Um, but. In the house of God, in the local church, I grew. I sat under the teachers. I, I sat in the Word. I was trained. And um, I think I was 18, 19 years old when I started sensing, I believe God's called me to be a pastor. Someone asked me one time, he says, so when you feel God's called you to be a pastor, what do you do? Well, how do you make it happen? I don't think you make it happen. I, I, I think you walk into it. And uh, yes, uh, you know, the evidence of a cause of willingness to prepare so you want to study and grow. Some people go to Bible college, seminaries, whatever it is, and I think that's important. But I think the ultimate calling comes first before the preparation. There's this sense of drawing, calling. I think that I got that early on. Um, as a little boy, uh, I thought I would be a priest. I got saved. Now I'm a pastor. And, uh, of course, we know that the Scripture says that we're all priests and kings unto right. the Lord. So in one sense, I'm, 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 a, I'm a priest, except I'm a New Testament kind of priest, which is just a fivefold ministry gift of pastoring. That was so. You said evidence of the call is willingness to prepare. Yes. I hope we put that in a clip. Let my, let my media guy know to quickly write that one not, down. Not, 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 I don't think it's unique to me. Don't quote me on that. I think that that's somebody else's quote, but it is a it is a principle and it is a truth. If somebody really feels called to do something, then you know it's going to be there. The evidence of Christianity is a hunger for the word. So if somebody's truly saved, there's a desire to want to know the Lord. There's a desire to grow. So there's, you know, I, I, I think that hunger tells you that you're really, you know, when you really want to eat, it's because you're really hungry. And um, when you feel the call of God, you start pursuing whatever it takes to see it realized in your life. One of my personal prayers lately has really been, God, don't, I say, let me never be satisfied with the word. Yeah. I don't ever want this hunger and thirst to go away. Like, yeah. let me have no rest on a day where, hey, I'm not reading. My, I didn't read my Bible today. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be able to go to sleep with that on me. Yeah. It's like, hey, you didn't read this today. Just keep poking, yeah. gentle nudging. Like, yes. you need to feed yourself yes, today. Yes, yes. It's one of my prayers, especially in this season right now. I've been praying that lately. It's just I don't ever want that hunger, that thirst, and that passion to burn out. Yep. 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 Especially when you're pouring into other people. Yeah. Because that'll, you can burn out quick. Because there's always more of them than there are of you. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. It's, it's and, not a one-on-one. -on -one. And if you stop and you think about, there are some days that people say, well, I'm just not hungry today. It's not that they're not hungry. It's that they're so busy doing a lot of stuff mm. that they don't realize how hungry they are. And so, for instance, um, even today, my son said to me, Dad, are you going to eat? Um, do you want something from the pizza shop? And I thought to myself, uh, well, um, I'm really not hungry. But it wasn't that I wasn't hungry. It was that I was busy doing things. That's good. And I think sometimes it's not that we're not spiritually hungry. And this is, this is something for Christians. Sometimes we're so caught up doing God's work 
that we never take time to stop and let God fill us. And so sometimes it's when you slow down. You ever notice, pastors, if you're listening, you guys can attest to this. It's on Mondays. You're not, you're not giving out. You're not pouring out. You poured everything out on a Sunday. Or if you're a small group leader, you poured everything out the night before. And the next day, you're just, wow, wore out. Why? Because there's no activity that day. And you realize how empty you are and how much you really need God. Wow. So I'm just going to, th- you kind of touched on this. So how important is it to then fill up? after even before after those those moments like whether it's preparing for a sermon on a sunday preparing mm-hmm. for a small preparing event how important is it to be ministering out of your overflow yeah i think it's very important i think it's rather interesting because to me uh filling up sometimes is not necessarily okay i preached on sunday so i need to fill up again let me go into scriptures and start studying and spend hours in prayer and get filled up again sometimes i realize that filling up for me is resting Mm. because what I'm doing is my body is war my emotions are war my mind is war I've given everything I have but I need to just rest and so that's what the Sabbath is all about the Sabbath is about recharging and so to me taking some taking a day off is like refilling it's kind of like think about your phone right right you have your phone and you're you're working on your phone all day long so there's activity going on on the phone but at the end of the day you look and you go bad that that battery is not but, but what do you have to do? You put, it on, you put it on a table and you plug it into a wall. The phone is no longer doing anything. But the power from the wall is recharging the phone. And to me, rest or Sabbath is about recharging. But nobody ever sees resting as an activity. You can keep going at it if you want to. <laughs> I don't know how to host this show because I'm sitting here. I'm like engulfed in everything you're saying right now. <laughs> No, resting is an activity. I mean, um, it, it's rather interesting. It says God created everything in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. And people think, well, resting means you're not doing anything. No, resting is you may not be actively doing something, but someone is actively recharging you. Right? And so so that's why you tell, listen, you ever come home where you're like, you worked and you're just dog tired. I mean, you're just tired, man. You can't do anything else. And what do you do? You go to bed. You wake up in the morning, refresh. Well, you didn't do anything physically, but your whole body was recharging itself. So your body was doing what you couldn't do with your mind. I don't have enough SIM cards to keep up with you tonight. I don't. I don't. I can listen to you talk for hours. <laughs> so good already. Thank you for that. So what advice then would you give to someone who feels like that they have a call in their life to pastor, to plant churches, to lead, to serve people. Um, what would you say to, to those individuals who feel they have that? Well, I, first of all, I would say um, I believe that everybody gets a call should be connected to a local church. Um, I encourage believers to be part of a local church that has eldership. Mm-hmm. I think that, and I, and I get a lot of young people sometimes call, will say, hey, I believe God's called me to do this. And they want, like they want to step out right away. And I tell them, well, listen, aren't you part of a church? Um, why don't we see what the elders have to say about that? Uh, I think that that's in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There's Come a reason on. why God plants you in a place. Um, but a lot of times what happens is young people, or not just young people, sometimes there are people who have been in church for a long time that feel maybe I missed my opportunity, I'm getting older, I need to start doing something, I need to make something happen. And they talk to the elders or talk to the key leaders and say, we don't sense the same thing right now. 
and say, so well, I'm forget you. I'm going to listen to God and not to you. The problem with that is that God has established the leadership and government of the church to protect the flock. Ooh. And so, so, and to equip the flock, right? Fivefold ministry gifts, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so I would say that if you feel a, a call upon your life, the first place you should go to other, obviously than God, is to go to the elders, go to the key leaders and see what they're sensing and then ask them to pray. And then, of course, if you're part of a local church, find out what processes it would take for you to be equipped and learn. So every church is different. Every local church is different. You go to a seminary and the church is a church planning church, and they will require that you go to that specific seminary. Maybe there's a training school that they have. So every local church is different. So um, talk to your elders. Talk to the people in your circle. And really listen. You know, everybody says, well, I don't want them to control me. I want the Lord to control me. Well, the Lord works through the body. I think that that's important. I learned early on when I first got saved that you can't do this by yourself. Like that accountability piece of just having somebody to tell you, and this is all God's grace to be, he had to humble me to allow me to be, I need someone to speak into my life. Right. It wasn't always that way, especially yeah. coming out of the environment I came out of. Pride was on level 10. You know, <laughs> you think you're untouchable, you think you're going to live forever, you know, and it's just all fabricated. Yes. To have someone speaking in your life to help guide you is so critical. I'll tell you a funny story because I remember when I first got saved, I was on the road. I was in Chicago. I called Pastor Bob and I said, "What does it take to be an elder at New Life?" Mm -hmm. Like, because I really, I think this is something I wouldn't, I would like to do because I'm coming out of the world. So I'm thinking, you know, ladder. You yes, know, yes, um, yes. what's the corporate, the corporate chain of command? That's correct. I didn't know any better. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. He knew. His response was so clear. He was like, just keep doing what you're doing and keep serving God. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> that was it. That's correct. And then he said, just pick up that book, open it, read it, and do what it says. Yeah. And I'm like, that's it? Okay. You fast forward. I was ordained at New Life Church this mm -hmm. past October. And I walk into the church. I said, Bob, remember that day I called you about wanting to be an elder in the church? I said, did you know? Did, did God say, did you know? He was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's like, right okay that's right. <laughs> and, and, you know everybody assumes that the pastor or the elders can see everything and they're not yeah. their job is to help guide and uh and, and to help people hear from god and then to confirm those things right. if it's clear but you know we don't see everything right and, uh, sometimes we don't see it until it starts to come out you know um you know, when Bob when Bob told me he was going to be a church planner, for instance, in the very beginning, I thought, I love this guy. Um, but once he became my associate, was working here with me, I didn't want to lose him. He was amazing, right. amazing. But you couldn't you couldn't deny the fact that he was a builder and that and that God had placed something on him. And so what I love about about him, uh, your pastor, was that I remember him saying to me, I won't go until you guys release me. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. And and I remember being at a retreat with him and a couple of the other uh, pastors, and we were praying, and we were praying for Lakewood. We went, did the, uh, the walk in Lakewood and everything, and I remember that, that retreat, just hearing from the Lord, it's time. And and um, and so I think a lot of young people need to listen and, and trust your eldership. Now, a word to the elders and to the pastors. Um Whatever we are, what we're called to do is to release people. I could have 
said to, to Bob, hey, listen, you're not, you're not going to go. I need you here and been insensitive to what he was hearing from the Lord. But because we're a team of elders, the elders sensed that it was time for him to go wasn't yeah. just me. And I think that that's why it's important for every local church to have real elders that hear from the Lord and that care about the people. I think every local church should have people that they're releasing into ministry, whether it's small group ministry, whether it's leadership ministry. But what you want to look for are, are people that are not seeking a position, but people that are seeking the king. Because it's the king that ultimately sets people where he wants, right? First Corinthians 12 says, and the Lord sets in the body according to his will. That's good. And so a lot of times people think, well, pastor's not putting me here. This person's not putting me. Here. No, if you could trust the king, he'll set you and appoint you where you need to be. And he'll make it clear to the leaders of the church the call of the grace that's on your life. And for the pastors, a word of caution to you, be sensitive. You know, your job is not to hold people back. Your job is to release people into what God's called them to do. Everything you say, I just want to spark 27 more questions. <laughs> How would someone develop that level of sensitivity that you're referring to? Uh, it, it starts off first with the heart. So for me as a pastor, I need to make sure that my heart is tender towards the Lord. Hmm. I cannot fall in love with my position I must fall in love with the one that set me in my place. My position, whether I'm a pastor, whether I'm an evangelist, whether I'm a teacher, or whether I'm an usher in the church, is set by the king. So I need to keep my heart tender. So I, I think if I keep my heart tender and realize I don't, I don't have a church. Everybody says, well, 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 you do have a church. No, no, I don't have a church. I have a responsibility. Come on not a church. Jesus has a church. That's real. Uh, even he told his disciples, upon this rock I will build my church. He didn't say our church. He said my church. Of course, he was telling Peter, Peter, you're going to be one of the forerunners. But remember, there's only one foundation. And Paul said the same thing. Hey, listen, guys, there's only one foundation in the church. And every one of us are building upon each other. In other words, we're all growing and we're all developing and we're all helping. We're all partnered together. That's 1 Corinthians where he says, who's Apollos, who's Peter, who's Paul? None of us died for you, only Jesus did. And he calls Jesus the foundation of the church. The chief cornerstone was Peter would refer to Jesus as the cornerstone of the church. And so to me, um, that starts with sensitivity starts in number one, relinquishing ownership of your local church and see it as a responsibility by the chief shepherd. And the chief shepherd did not tell you, hey, listen, I have put you over an organization. He said, I have put you over my sheep. The church is not a building. The church is not 50C3. The church is not, um, you know, constitution. The church is not bylaws. The church is people and they're God's people. So if I can understand that as a pastor and a leader, then when the people come, my job is to help them discover what God has placed on them and then to, to equip them so that at the appointed time, we can release them into what God's called them to do. And so it starts off with me walking in humility. And, and that's not easy for any of us. Because sadly, it's easy for our identity to get wrapped up in what we do instead of the one who did for us. Mm. And I think, I, think that's, I think it starts, sensitivity starts with, I'm a pastor in responsibility over the sheep that belong to the Lord. So it starts there. That's sense, I think that makes us more sensitive. These are God's people. They're not my people. 
They're not here to serve my vision. And I, I grew up hearing that many times from other people saying, the people are there to serve the pastor's vision. Well, no, the people are there to serve Christ. And the pastor may have gotten a, a vision, a direction for the local church along with the eldership. But ultimately, the leaders are there to serve the people by equipping them for work of ministry. And our vision should not be how big are we going to build. It should not be how big is our ministry going to be. Should not, our, our vision should be how strong, how mature, how equipped are our people to do what God's called them to be. I always tell people, especially where I'm at at New Life, that I don't want to keep you if God is calling you somewhere else. Yep. I want to help you get to where you're going, wherever that may yep. be, because keeping you here or keeping you under me, that's not, there's no doctrine in that. That's not in the word. I'm not that's supposed correct. to do that. I'm supposed to be equipping you to do the work of the ministry, whatever that is and wherever that, and whatever that plan is that God has for you. Yes. I've never been that person to want people to be dependent on me. Yeah. Even that's before so, I got saved. That I'm, is so good. I've never wanted that because what happens if I, what happens when I fail? No. And you can even get to the, the simplest. What happens if on a Sunday you just need me and I'm taking a nap during the football game? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I point people back to the cross and I point them back to the resurrection. Yeah. I point them back to who actually has all the answers for their life because I don't have that. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> I can pray for you. I can pray with you. And I have a responsibility to you. Yes. To point you to the cross. To yeah. point you to the resurrection, to point you back to the one who made you to do whatever work it is that he has for you. Yeah, that's correct. That's so, correct. Isn't, that what, what, isn't, that, isn't that what the Great Commission was? When Jesus told his disciples, listen, um, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. He didn't say all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto you. I'm the head of the church. All authority has been given to Go therefore. So now he's saying that the authority that's been given to me is going to work through you. But here's your job. Your job is to go all the world and make disciples of all people, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what, what is he saying? That whole commission was not, you go out and make your disciples. No, right. no, you go out and make disciples of Christ. A disciple is a follower of Christ, right? Unfortunately, what we're seeing a lot is people are making disciples after themselves. Mm. And, and I, I, I try to discourage our leaders from ever saying, oh, hey, this is one of my disciples. And I tell them, well, I, I don't think you want them in your image. You want to make sure that you're pointing to Jesus so that they become a Christ follower. Come on. Because any one of us can mess up. Any one of us may not be there. What if you collapse tomorrow? What, what's going to happen to them? Get them to Jesus. Teach them to rely upon the Lord, to get in the Word, to develop prayer life, to develop so that they become a mature believer and a follower of Christ that are also going out and helping to make, develop mature leaders and followers of Christ. That's a commission, right? I bring this up in, our, in leadership classes a lot. What happens when you're gone? Yeah. What happens whether you are on vacation or what happens when you guys called you somewhere else? Like what happens to the people who are still there? Right. That, is, that is the mark of, of how you've been leading, which for me is how you've been serving these yeah. individuals. Because if it all falls apart, what were you doing for that amount of time? Yeah, that's right. And if they're completely relying on you and you're not there, who did you teach them to be relying upon? Mm-hmm. Because if they're relying on Jesus, they'll be, <laughs> if you teach them, it's one of those things of, of 
how do I teach you as a leader how to hear from God for yourself? Right. How do I teach you to learn to hear the voice of God and discern the voice of God for yourself? Right. So you don't have to, because I tell people, I may get a word for you, but I say the same thing to everybody. Yep. Pray that through. <laughs> Pray it through. You've got to discern it. <laughs> Pray that through. <laughs> This may not be for you. If it's not, throw it away. But pray this through. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Well, see, you put it on them, right? Right. I mean, ultimately, they have to. They have to make a decision. It's just like when people come to me, they'll say, "Hey, I need. I need to make a decision. Can you please tell me what to do?" And I look at them and say, "I will never tell you what to do." <laughs> I said, "I will give you options. If it's clear in Scripture, I'll show you what Scripture says. But ultimately, you're the one that has to walk in obedience. And if I tell you what to do and it doesn't work out, you'll blame me. Right. <laughs> you are responsible for the choices that you make, and you have to have an ear to hear what the Spirit says. Now." If it's something that's clear in Scripture and they're telling me, hey, I want to I want to do this and the Scriptures, then I'll say, well, this is what the Scriptures say. But there are decisions in life. I don't know what this person is supposed to do or not do, but I can tell them. This is what are your counselors say? What do people around you say? What does your spouse say? Um, multitude of counselors, their safety. I go back to the Scriptures, right? And uh, and I think I think a lot of times what happens to, to leaders is if we're not careful— um, we, we love the idea that we made someone into something. And uh, I think that's a misnomer. I, we don't make anyone into something. Mm-hmm. We point them to the only one that can make them into something, right? Uh, here, the scripture that I always wrestled with was in John's epistle when, when John says, you don't need anyone to teach you, but the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. I've always, re- I, I, when I was younger in the Lord, I wrestled with that. And I said, well, so then why don't we have teachers in the body? The Bible says God gave teachers for the equipping of the saints. Right. The Holy Spirit teaches us everything. And then I would hear some people, they get mad at the pastor, and they're now become the theologians in their own <laughs> right. And, and they'll say, well, I don't need pastors, and I don't need to be part of a church, and I don't need people around me because I've got the Holy Ghost, and he teaches me everything. Well, I don't think that that's what John meant. What John was simply saying was, you don't need, only the Holy Spirit can be the ultimate revealer, illuminator. So, for instance, when I'm preaching on a Sunday or I'm doing a small group or I'm sharing something from Scripture, I'm teaching. I'm, I've done my job. I've studied the Scripture, studied the text, explaining the text, applying the text. However, you have hundreds of people listening to you and somebody gets it and somebody doesn't. Somebody lives it out, somebody doesn't live it out. And you say, well, I, I taught them all the same thing. Well, the difference is that the person that finally got it, it wasn't your teaching. Right. It was the Holy Spirit opening the eyes of their understanding. And so you get no glory. It's not your teaching that changed people's lives. It's the Holy Spirit that changed people's lives. Just be true to the scriptures, explain the scriptures, preach the scriptures, preach the gospel, but let the Holy Spirit be the one that reveals the truth. The spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Christ comes from the Holy Spirit, the very power that lives on the inside of us. So. I think we need, as leaders, to be delivered from this savior complex that sometimes we fall into to say, I did this. Yeah. I built this great church. I, that person wouldn't be where they're at without me. And God's going, really? Really? You're that big? You're that awesome? You're that amazing? I don't think so. <laughs> and then it just takes that one person that will complain and say, because of you, my life is a wreck. And then we feel guilty and think, what did I do wrong? And, you know, you hurt me, you offended me. And then you realize, hey, God, the only thing I can do well is probably ruin people's lives, not change their lives. Only you can do that. And so help me to be faithful and never take credit for what only you can do. And I think that's important for us, right? 
I forgot how John Maxwell put it, but I learned this early on from him. He's one of those pastors who doesn't know he's pastoring me. <laughs> um, he doesn't claim me. Maybe one day. But he said, when you get a compliment, praise God, glory to God, That's something right. to that effect. And then you, then you say thank you. Yeah. And I throw in, yeah, it wasn't always this way for me. It didn't always used to be like that. You know, that way you immediately, you, you say thank you. Yeah. But then you immediately, in both ways, it's sandwiched so it's not on you. Yeah. So it immediately puts you back in a place of surrender or humility or whatever the yes, situation yes. for you may may call for. So Well, in the old days, it wasn't quite like that. In the old days, if somebody gave you a compliment, you said, to God be the glory. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to tell people, you know, it's, it's all right to say thank you. Yeah. I mean, uh, you don't have to just, to God be the glory. Well, I don't want any glory. Or my favorite was when people would get up and give testimonies and they start, I want to share this testimony, but it's all for the glory and honor of God. It's not for my glory. I'm like... I think every one of us here would know that. Uh, can you just tell us your testimony? Do, do, is there a reason why you have to give us this this pre-statement? Is Do you have an issue here? And, and, and I was young at that time, and it really bugged me when people would say, why are you saying to God be the glory? We all know that God be the glory. It's not your testimony. It's his story in your life, right? So, so, that's, so yeah, it's okay to say thank you as long as you remember that, that – uh, it's not you. It's not so much their thanks. It's how you receive it, right? I need to come here for a few more services more often. You <laughs> might, I might just start popping up here for your third service more often. Some of this. You might have a challenge with the third service. It's a Spanish one. So you, you may not really understand anything that's being said. The spirit spoke. I was here for your Spanish, sir. I'm like, I picked up on it pretty. I was like, it, it still spoke to me. I had no idea what they were saying, but I picked up on it. Yeah, I think right. Gary Hayes was here when that, yes. when that happened. Oh, yeah. yeah, there was a translator. Yeah, so yeah, okay, right? <laughs> I should have left that part out. <laughs> I understood it because somebody was speaking English. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. A lot of what we're talking about is like is, is centered around just a mindset shift, yeah. and 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 really, it's positioning of your heart towards God, Absolutely. getting off of myself and positioning my heart towards the kingdom. Yes, and one of the main things, and when I was thinking about today, I wanted you to talk about what it means to really renew the mind because that was what was in on my heart when we spoke this morning about hey, it might have actually been yesterday, of what could you possibly share with the audience as far as that scripture. Yeah. As far as how to live it out, what it means, and the importance of it to, yeah. to your journey with God. I, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I think the scripture that comes to mind is in Romans um, chapter 12, right? Everybody is very familiar with the scripture where it just simply says, do not be conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, uh, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. When you read that, a lot of people say it's important for you to renew your mind. But what what exactly does that mean? And I, I, I try to tell people all the time, whenever you read a passage and you've heard it all preached many times, go back to the passage and find the context of that passage. Because the questions, for instance, that you asked about, you know, what exactly does it mean and how do you apply it is all found right in the passage. I mean, the answer is right there. Um, but a lot of times what happens is that we take a passage and we take it out of its setting and then we preach everything about that passage except what the guy that wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what he wrote and what it meant in right. its setting. Um, there's a lot of applications to it, but, but when you understand that, for instance, when you read Romans chapter 12, um, verse 1 starts off with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The King James says, therefore, brethren, I appeal to you 
Um, what is, why, why is he appealing to them, and what does he mean by the mercies of God? Well, if in chapter 1 through chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has laid out a wonderful, clear description or defense of what the gospel is. He has presented the gospel with great clarity, how, you know, Jesus, the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, is, it's the power of God to salvation. And then he, 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 he just kind of develops this whole gospel theme and explains all of God's mercies to us that we have been saved because of the grace of God, that this was God's plan and that Jesus was God's plan. And so he's really broken down the gospel from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11. And so he deals with the theology of the gospel, right? And uh, the, the power of the cross. We're no longer under sin. We're now free. There's no condemnation, chapter 8, to those that are in Christ Jesus. He's um, this, The law of the Spirit of Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. So he's talking about the spiritual reality because of the cross or the work of Christ. But then when he gets to chapter 12, he now says, okay, therefore, because of the mercies of God, because God has done this amazing work on the cross of Calvary, um, the wages of sin is death. That's all in Romans. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. This was the mercies of God. And if you notice chapter 11, for instance, he said, uh, verse 32 of chapter 11, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has given him the gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Hmm. And so he makes this declaration, right? The mercies of God. You know, we were all under a death sentence, but God showed all of us mercy through the work of Christ on Calvary. He said, therefore, because of God's awesome grace and mercy, right? So, so he sets this up and says, the gospel truly understood should result in the right response. And what is the right response to a man or a woman who have truly understood the gospel, who have truly understood what Jesus did, who have truly understood the mercies of God? Well, the right response is what he says in verse 1. Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of what God did, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's saying, because of everything Jesus did, if you really understand that, your first response is to give your life in service to the king. That's your first response. And then he goes on to say, so don't be conformed to this world. He says, so when you give your life in service to the king, your worship to the Lord is a life that is sacrificial. Dying to yourself, the idea of sacrificing your body is you're dying to yourself. And how do you do that? By not being conformed to the world. Mm. By not allowing yourself to be put into the mold of the world. That's what you were before. But when now that you've been saved, then you, the first desire in you is to, have, to, to, to refuse to, be, to come into conformity with the things of this world, but to be transformed. The word transformed, metamorphosed, to be changed. Mm. And then he said, how do I do that? Well, our hearts have been changed. We have a new heart. We've been born again. But he's saying, how do you then allow this heart change to become a life change? Well... You allow your mind to be transformed. Well, how do you do that? To transform means you need to change your way of thinking. And then he says, by the renewal of your mind, by, the, by that by testing you may discern. What he's simply saying is, listen, 
there has to be a new way of thinking. And so your mind, even for instance, I don't know, how old were you when you first got saved? I was 26. So, so imagine that before Christ, for 26 years, your mind thought a certain way. Oh. You were driven by the fallen nature inside. Stop and think about that. Your nature was the driving force. So your nature is what made you want to do things that were anti-Christ or against God, right? The, the Ephesians chapter 2 says, by nature we were sinners, right? Uh, we were under the wrath of God without even knowing it. We were under the command of the principality of darkness um, by, by the devil himself. But when you got saved, your nature's changed. Now you have a new desire. But your brain, your mind, still thinks the way it was before. And so now that has to be transformed, the new way of thinking, because you were used to the habits that were formed in the way you thought um, is how you used to live your life. But now you still think that way, but your heart is not driven that way. And now when you think something you shouldn't have that goes against God's law, your heart immediately begins to feel conviction. Why? Because you're new on the inside. Come on. But now there's a process. So the renewal of the mind is a process. Well, we would refer to that as sanctification, right? Change your way of thinking, and the more you grow through the Word, the more you read the Scriptures, the more you spend time in the presence of God, your mind begins to have new patterns and new ways of thinking, aligning in itself to the Word of God. And that's a process. And it's in this process that you learn to understand what is God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. And so the Spirit of God living inside of you begins to talk to you. Your mind begins to have a new way of thinking, and it's a transformation. Metamorphosis is a process. It's not overnight. It's a process. It's kind of think of a butterfly. Think of a, a caterpillar that goes into the cocoon and there's this, the idea is that you're going from glory to glory. But there has to be intentionality. You have to give yourself to the word, right? Now, now stop and think about that. He says, okay, so what does that mean? Okay, so how do I know that my mind is being renewed? How do I know that there is real change taking place in my life. Well, he talks about it in the next verse. Now he gets real practical. He says, guys, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think uh, with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given him. Notice there he talks about thinking. He just talked about renewing your mind. So he says, the first thing I want you to uh, make sure that you change the way you think is that you're not all that. Everything that you are... (laughs) Everything that you have, every gift that you have, even the gift of faith by which you were saved, all came from God. That's the first thing. Because remember, before Christ, I'm my own person. I build my own life. I'm in control of my own destiny. And everything I have, I did this. Well, now that you're in Christ, everything you have, chapter 1 through 11, he did this. Not I did this. So he says, so one of the first areas that you need to change your way of thinking is, Remember, Mm. everything you are, everything you have, and everything you do, including your salvation, all came from God. So change your way of thinking. You're not this amazing Christian because you made yourself an amazing Christian. You're an amazing Christian. If anybody says, wow, you really are a real deal and you really are a real Christian, you can just point back to them and say, I didn't make myself this. God is working in me. God is teaching me. The Holy Spirit is leading me. The Holy Spirit is teaching me through the scriptures. I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm not there yet. But any, if there's anything that you see good in me, it's all God. If there's anything that you see in me that's bad, it's all me. <laughs> right? It's all me. So 
That's first thing he says, work on, don't think of yourself more than you have. Then he goes on to say, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not have all the same functions. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So now he says, so remember this, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. It's all God. And number two, don't think you don't need anyone. He's going back to thinking, remember, you're part of a body. That's why I said the local church is important. Right. I need, I need you, brother. I need other people around me. Oh, well, you're the pastor. You're, you're, you're God's servant. You're the man at the top. No, I'm a man running alongside of everybody else. And we all need God and we all need each other. Each other. If we don't get the thinking right, then we become these independent, all I need is God and I don't need anyone else. And Paul is saying, inspired by the Spirit, change your way of thinking. The will of God is for you to never think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Change your way of thinking. The will of God is for you to remember that all the, everything you have is a gift from God. And remember, God puts you in the body and you need other people around you. And that's why he says, so then having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So now he goes on to these specific gifts. And so what he's telling them is to renew your mind is not, hey, let me take a scripture and change my way of thinking. If we just, I really think that if Christians just practice chapter 12 of Romans, just that one chapter, we, we would be different altogether in the way that we think and the way that we love people and the way that we treat people. For instance, let love be genuine. Hmm. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another, showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice in those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be hasty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give Though uh, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all men. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then he goes on to say the last verse, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you just practice that, if you just said, You know what? I'm going to learn to practice this. Number one, everything that I am, it's all because of God, hmm. if it's good. I'm saved because of God, because of his mercies. I'm going to change my way of thinking by practicing what these next few verses say. And watch what happens. So it's all right there in that passage. We can go on and use all kind of other verses that says, renew your, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and your heart. All it just simply says is, guys, change the way you think. All right. But you can't do that yourself. You do that by just seeing what, is, what are God's thoughts about this and let me align myself with the thoughts of God. And so even reading that, we have a part to play, because you said put it into practice. Yeah. One of the things that I had to do when I first got saved was really I took this. I said, how do I apply this to areas of my life? Mm -hmm. Because everything that was ungodly about me was so readily available. Right. It was right there. <laughs> the drugs, the alcohol, it was all right there. And I think sometimes we forget that there's practical steps that we yeah. can take. And yeah. for me, it was, I had to change my phone number multiple times. Yes. I had to get new social media pages. Yes. I actually had to move. Yeah. Not because I was, because it was the environment that I was in was not going to get me to where God was, right. was trying to take me. Right. And I knew that. 
and I read this. Um, I talk about this a lot to the to the to our, to the young adults at our church because I just got done teaching a men's group. We did the book "Ask It" by Andy Stanley, mm-hmm. and he has a really good question there. It says, based off your past experiences, your current circumstances, and your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? Mm-hmm. He really played into the idea of biblical decision making, yes. because he even spoke in there about this outranks legal and illegal. Yeah. Well, because I'm using wisdom, I don't have to worry about breaking the law anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and as most people know, you you can be sitting in a courtroom, and it's just beyond reasonable doubt. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they were right. This is just a level of doubt that is getting yes. raised to whatever the charge is or mm-hmm. isn't. So um, it's one of those things that really helped me just to really think about what I was thinking about. Because I had to ask myself, what is the real reason why I'm doing what I'm doing? Yeah. Like the real why. Like, is this for attention? Is this to to make me look a certain kind of way? Is this to, because I'm seeking praise over the case to be? Because I found myself, and I didn't know it, obviously, because I wasn't wasn't serving the Lord yet, but I found myself using people to fill that spiritual void that I had, using people to fill that spiritual emptiness that I had. And then fast forward, Jesus steps in, ushers in salvation yeah. and it's how do I stop doing that yeah, yeah. okay how, how do I how do I fill this yeah. hole yeah. that I know now I know is a God-sized hole and I was plugging all these people and how do I do this now yes and I think that like you said it's it is a journey and it is a process but yes. it takes you being honest before God not honest with me <laughs> Yeah, that's correct. That's <laughs> I can't be honest with me because I realized how often I was lying to myself. Yeah, yeah. That well, you would agree with Jeremiah that said the heart is desperately wicked, and and it's very deceitful above all things. Right? Without a doubt, human, human way of thinking. Right? <laughs> Without our, a doubt, in our humanness, right? Yeah. I spent a lot of time telling myself I was something that I wasn't. Yeah, tougher than I really was, cooler than I really was, funnier than I really was. Some people may say still am. I don't know. <laughs> At least you think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hope not. <laughs> I'm going to check the comment section after, <laughs> yeah. after we post this. What, um, what advice would you give to, to someone who's practically trying to live this out? Yeah, I think you have to be intentional. I think I, think, um, I, I just preached a message um, on holiness, just started a series on holiness. And, and uh, you know, the, 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 first, the first thought is you can't live in holiness without God, right? You have to have a heart change. It starts with a heart change. The second thing is, we all would admit to this, holiness is not easy. It's not. And the third thing is, holiness is not automatic. It's not like, okay, I got saved now. I'm living right all the time. No, you have to make, you have to be intentional, make choices. You talked about, you know, cutting off social media and whatever. It's different for everyone. Everyone. You know, there are some people that can do something and it doesn't affect them. They can be on social media. It doesn't affect them. Others have to cut it off. So I, I think when it comes to the practical aspect of how to do it, um, each one needs to be, number one, mm-hmm. honest with themselves. Um, talk to the Lord. Have accountability. People around you, how can I practice these things in my life and i think that's why we need some coaching we need discipling we need people that will come around us and help us walk in it um because it's different for everyone uh case in point one guy gives away a car and uh feels that god wants him to give away a car and somebody walks up to him and gives him a brand new car right and then everybody says hey that worked for him i'm gonna give away right. a car. And next thing you know they're riding around on a bicycle for the right. Right. right um so, so I think when it comes to the practical aspect of things, is listen to God. And number two, 
the stuff that's really robbing you of walking like Christ, be intentional. Mm. Uh, start cutting some things out of your life. Sometimes it's even relationships, you know, where you say, you know, this relationship is a bit toxic in my life. It doesn't necessarily mean all the time that the person is a bad person. It just meant, simply means that the chemistry between you and them is affecting you in a very negative way. And until there's healing in your heart, maybe maybe there has to be some distance between you and them. Um, so so I, I think the practical aspect is everybody needs to determine, number one, what has God called me to do? Am I walking the level of holiness he's called me to walk in? What's keeping me from there? And what do I need to do to eliminate some of these things from my life? And um, and, and even even that, I mean, you can cut off everything. You can, you can cut off social media. You can cut off. But the problem is not the social media. It's, it's kind of like what Jesus told the people. He says, it's not what goes into a man that, that, that makes a man unclean. It's what comes out of the man for out of the abundance of the heart. And that's why I said there has to be a heart change. The renewing of the mind is what does the Scripture say? The more that we understand what the Scripture says, the more we cry out to God in line with Scripture, the more we pray, the more we allow ourselves to think on the Word, to study the Word, the Word begins to begin produce a change in us. I really believe that. And I think that what happens a lot of times is people want to cut everything out, but they don't want to take anything in. And so it's not a matter of cutting things out. It's about filling yourself up with the truth of Scripture. Um, that place of prayer, the accountability, community, um, people around you praying for you, all of that is important. So I think if you do that, the Spirit of God will give you the practical aspects on what you should do and shouldn't be doing and cutting out of your life in the moment. And anytime you get ready to put something off, something has to get put back on Absolutely. in its place. Yeah. And I always use the example of just because I stopped doing drugs, yeah. putting on television wasn't going to be enough because yep. it wasn't life-giving. That's correct. It was. It's just numbing something that right. that is just that needs healing. That needs that really needs. Uh, like I said before, the the God sized void that need to be filled. It is just. It's all, it's, a, it's a cheap replacement. Yes, <laughs> like, it is. Yes, I, it is. I'm going to put off this, and I'm going to put on something that's not going to help me yeah. grow in the Lord. And I'm not knocking television. Yeah, that's correct. I'm just saying if I'm going to quit doing something that I was spending hours upon hours upon hours doing. I need to look at putting in something that's going to give me life. Yeah, going to church, reading the word, getting discipled, going to to connect groups, mentoring someone else when when the time is right. Yeah, you know those kind of things. We have to when we take something away, what we replace it with is is critical. Yeah, it's, it is. It's very important. I remember I remember doing a uh, of my many attempts at, at workout routines <laughs> throughout my life. I remember one time I, 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 th I thought, how do I get rid of the belly fat? I mean, what do I do? So, you know, you're doing all these exercises. You're doing ab exercises. And it just doesn't seem like nothing worked. And then I heard somebody make this statement. He says, um, abs, developing abs begins in the kitchen. <laughs> and I thought, what does he mean by that? And then I listened a little further. And he was saying, if you're taking in all the bad stuff, you can do all the exercises you want. You're not going to get rid of it. Uh, and I think a lot of times what happens is we're trying to exercise ourselves, but we're not cutting some things out right. of our life. Sometimes you got to cut some things out of your life, but then just don't cut those. You also have right. to do the workout, right? So you have to do both. And, but we don't want that, right? right? I, I think I, I, I've been a believer for so long, <laughs> and I've been guilty of this myself. Lord, if you could just wave your magic wand <laughs> and fix this. <laughs> I would be happy. 
I remember one time years, uh, this was many years ago as a young believer, I struggled with, struggling with fear. And, and I, I remember praying one time and I said, Lord, you, you, you got it. When are you going to take this away from me? And I remember that uh, I heard, I, I say I heard the Lord, but it was a very strong thought that came to me in the moment. I felt like the Lord said to me, I'm not. I'm going to teach you how to live by faith. Come on. And I thought, what does that mean? And of course, I felt impressed to begin to read scriptures about fear. So I started reading scriptures about fear, and especially um, I'll both lay myself down and go to sleep for you, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And I began to read the scriptures, not as a formula, but I began to see what the scriptures said about this. And it, I would like to say it happened overnight, but in the process of time, what I realized was fear began to lose its grip on me. Hmm. Not because fear was being cast out, but because faith was being built up. Come on. And so, you know, a lot of times it's not, who, who, who was it that said that there's no such thing as darkness? Darkness is nothing more than the absence of light. Hmm. Dar darkness is not a thing. Darkness is a result that light is gone. So where there's no light, there's darkness. Where there's ignorance, right, there's darkness. But once you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And so it's like that with everything, right? The practical aspect. How do I live for God? How do I renew my mind? Well, fill yourself up with the word. See what happens. From someone who's lost 115 pounds, I'll tell you, <laughs> you can't outwork a bad diet. <laughs> yeah, and when you try, you gain 20 to 40 pounds back. Yes. You look in the mirror and you're like, I don't believe I got to do this all over again. <laughs> But isn't that how the Christian walk is? It's so real. You get so deep with God and it just takes one, just one person to hurt you or one life situation or circumstance that just throws you off track and you feel like, I've lost my way. I, I, I put on 20, if you will, pounds right. again or I put on 30 pounds. What happened to me? And it didn't take long. The cool thing about it is that there's such a thing even in the natural muscle memory. Right. You get back in because you've already been there. And I think that when people learn to turn in repentance and turn to God, there's something about the wonderful quickening grace of the Spirit that He gets you back quicker than what you used to in the past. So thank God for that. Amen, brother. Something that hit my head to ask you right now because you, you touched on this. Happiness versus holiness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. A lot of people pursue happiness, um, but they don't realize that happiness really is tied into um, you honoring the king. Mm. And so a lot of people associate, man, if I got to walk in holiness, I got to give, all the th give up all the things that make me happy. But the truth of the matter is, is those things that you don't want to give up are the ones that are robbing you of true joy and true peace, right? So the moment you begin to pursue after God and surrender those things to the Lord, suddenly you realize, well, hold on. I'm dying to myself, and God is being glorified. And, and I don't know who it was. I believe it was John Piper that says that we are most, we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. Come and on. I think that that's the key, right? That... My goal is not to pursue holiness, although the scriptures tell us to pursue holiness. I want to pursue the source of holiness, and he's called holy, holy, holy. The closer I get to God, the more like God I want to be, and the more like him he makes me by the grace of his spirit. And so, you know, I don't pursue happiness. I pursue holiness. I pursue the king, holy, holy, holy. And I, the closer I get to him, the happier I am. Um, what is that scripture that says? Um, there's joy in the presence of the Lord. There really is. There really is. I am the most miserable when I do things that do not honor God.
And so, I mean, why, why, why do you think everybody, if I only had a better job, right. then they get a better job, and guess what? If I only had more money, right. then they get more money. If I only had a bigger house, it's like there's nothing that really fills that sense of contentment and happiness except a surrendered life to God. And that sounds, well, what do you mean that's sacrificial? That's, that, that's sacrificial. Well, what did Jesus say? You want to find your life, you have to lose it. Come on. Sounds like an oxymoron, but what he was saying is this is true. You give me your life. You die to yourself. That's when you really find it. I could sit here and talk to you all night. This is this is actually the saddest part of the show for me right now because this brings us to the end of it. I get you. So this is our let them know segment. This is the part of the show where you can share anything that you would like, whether it be word from God, something on your heart, uh, an upcoming event at, at your church, whatever you would like to share. Pastor, please let them know. Yeah, no, I, I'll tell you what. I'm going to let you know something right now. Uh, wherever you at, wherever you're listening to this right now, there isn't anything about you that God doesn't know. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But I want you to know something. It's not about what you know. It's about what he knows. And what he knows is his love for you. And no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through right now, I want you to know this, man, that God is still working his plan. Mm-hmm. And he's going to get you to that end. I love what Paul says, and this is, this is what the scripture says. He that began the good work in you, he's going to finish it. He really will. And so just... Hold on, don't quit, don't give up, don't throw in the towel, don't stop praying, don't stop believing, just kind of just keep staying with it because I know, and if only you can know, that God knows better. You are always fire, always. Thank you so much for doing this today. I have one more thing for if you don't mind. If you could close us in prayer before we head out, I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Father, I want to thank you for allowing us this time to be gathered together here today. Lord, I, I, I know that there isn't anything that, that you miss. You know everything. Everything that we share today, my prayer is that it would be acceptable unto you and that it would bring you glory and honor and praise. And that everyone that hears this particular podcast, is something in the podcast from your word will be quickened in their hearts. Lord, that you would bless every here in ways they never would have expected. Bless Eric and his family. Bless every hearer right now with your grace and your favor multiplied in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sir, thank you so much for being Absolutely, on here today. Man. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We, we got to get you back on here. <laughs> Anytime you want me, man. Don't, don't tell me. I will be back here tomorrow. <laughs> All right. All right. Awesome. I'm a fundraiser. There's, I have yeah. this polite persistence where I just have to be outside your door. You're like, good, hey, where do you, you got a free hour real quick? You're good. We'll make it happen, man. <laughs> Let's do it. Absolutely. For anyone who is listening to the, to the podcast right now, please like, follow, share, and subscribe. It really helps us get the get the message out. We do not want to leave the the power of what we're doing here in the hands of some algorithm or a bunch of robots on on the internet. So please like, follow, share, and subscribe if you're enjoying the the content. We need all the support that that we can get. I appreciate all of our listeners, and sir, thank you once again for Absolutely. doing this for us. It was an honor. Thank you. Yeah.